0: Invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter twelve. I'm going to continue in this uh, story here today. Uh in, in the book of John. Um, a couple weeks ago I was reading through a magazine, it was on, it was an archaeological magazine uh written written by a Christian organization, and uh if yeah, like if you're born like if you're 20 years or younger, a magazine's actually something in print and you put pages together. And... So uh I don't often read archeological magazines, but uh, I was reading this one and it had the story of a, they had a picture of a fig tree. And, and there was a story behind the whole fig tree. And, because I'm thinking archeology span is not about living things, it's about dead buried things that you go find. And, and so they had this fig tree, well come to find out they had been in an archeological site and they found a bunch of seeds that were fig tree seeds. I don't know how they know that they're fig tree seeds, but I guess if you study fig tree seeds, you would know such things. And they actually dated it back to Herod's time. So these seeds were 2,000 years old, sitting in this site, and somebody dug them up. And they said, what if we planted them? And so um, legend has it that the figs that grew back in the day were bigger than the figs that grow today. So there's this rumor, right? Like, or this like, oh, I, you know, it's just like how everybody remembers it was always better and bigger or whatever back in the day. So they planted these trees to find out which tree, it was, was it true, were the, were the figs back in 2000 years ago bigger than they are today? Stay tuned. The story starts here in Jesus' life in John with everybody coming together to Jerusalem. This is the third and final time we read in John about this feast called Passover, right? And that was celebrating what happened in Israel's history long before that, and they were getting together to talk about and celebrate how God had saved Israel out of slavery and that whole story. So everybody's coming together about 150, 200, 300,000 come into the city. The, the city itself has about 50,000. So there's people everywhere. And, and we get to the story right now, John chapter 12, verse 20, it says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they asked him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew told him, and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered him, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Don't know what to do with that. Not sure if that's a yes, is that a no? If you're listening online, I've got a bag of uh, wheat here on my table and I'm realizing as I do this I have to, uh, actually if you're not online but you're you're listening to a podcast, I, I need to explain what's on the table or what you're seeing or if you're seeing this because, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago, I was eating a donut and I never told the online, if you're listening to a podcast, I never said to the podcast what I was doing as I was eating it. and they, I got a comment back that said it was really creepy because all they could hear was smacking of lips and me going, mmm, <laughs> mm. So I have got about a seven pound bag of wheat here on my table. Um, I'm gonna put it off to the side here uh, because it has to do with, with wheat and seeds because Jesus says next, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be, or there will my servant be also, and if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So he comes, uh, or he's hearing these guys come to Philip, and they say, hey, we want to see Jesus And the Greeks, was just a kind of a generic term, not only for people who lived in the, the formerly known as area of Greece, but also just people who lived in that area that weren't Greeks, but they were just, you know, they weren't Jews. So it was a generic term for anybody who wasn't a Jew from that region, and so there's, there's this reality in Pat, uh, during that time of Passover and actually throughout the history of Israel of all these people that, well it was a minority, but there was a, a, a group of people that believed in God by faith, wanted to worship God. And they're looking for him. They're coming here to the Passover to worship. And they're saying, hey, we want to see Jesus too. Can we see Jesus too? And there's stories. Actually, another woman tried to see Jesus, and Jesus says, you're not part of Israel. And it was harsh. And Jesus' ministry was right there, and yet he ended up helping her. And so there's this sense of they're the outsiders because they're not part of the family of Abraham, which is known as what we would call Israel. They're not the biological family line tree, whatever, of Israel. They're outside of that, and so they don't belong, as it were. They're, they're just not part of that family of God the chosen nation, and so they come to Jesus, and they say, hey, we want to see Jesus, and Jesus' response is, now is the hour, now is the time, right, for the Son of Man to be glorified. Which is interesting because there's all kinds of things that come into play right here in this, in this uh, story that we've been reading all the way through chapter one up until now. There, there's the moment where Jesus is talking about how there are people who think they can see spiritually but they're completely blind. And then there are people who, who know they're blind and can't see and are trying to figure out how to see and he says, you're gonna be able to see. And here's these Gentiles coming saying, we wanna see. We wanna see, we know we haven't seen, we know we can't see, but we wanna see. And so there's this moment where Jesus, you're, you're seeing this, this finally happen where people who are blind, who know they're blind are being able to see. And then if you read through John, there's another theme that comes to this moment where Jesus has said, the hour has not come. The hour is yet not come. It's not time. It's not time it's not time and here is the moment where Jesus says it's time it's time which is an interesting response these Greeks want to see Jesus and and I I gotta imagine Andrew and Philip are sitting there going "I, I don't know what to do with that answer Jesus hey we got some Greeks here that want to see you the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified Help me like is that. What do we do with that? Is that a yes? Are we a no? But what Jesus was saying in this moment was hang on. Hang on. They'd understand it. But he's saying, just a minute. Actually, give me seven days. See, this is the fulfillment, right? Jesus came, and he said earlier, he says, "I've got sheep that are not of this 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 flock, right?" And he's talking about all the sheep that weren't part of Abraham's family and Israel and the chosen nation. He says, "I got other sheep. I got to bring in. These are the other sheep." And he's saying, "It's time." It's time. And he says, for the Son of Man to be glorified, and we think often, okay, that's when Jesus is up there at the right hand of the Father, right? Has conquered death and is up there, and you know, you get the little fight and you're like, Yeah, Jesus won. No. This idea of Jesus being glorified, it starts with his betrayal. It starts with his arrest, it goes through his trial, it goes through the beatings, it goes through the crucifixion and the burial. And every moment of that, you see the glory of Christ, you see the glory of his innocence, you see the glory of his obedience, you see the glory of his willingness to lay down his life for people who hate him. You see the glory in the beatings, you see the glory in the fact that he forgives and he even forgives those who don't even know why they should be forgiven. The grace, the glorious grace is on display. The the glory of his love, the glory of his mercy, all of that. And he's saying it's time so that he could pull everyone in. And he says this, though. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It's a reference to his life and what's about to happen. He is the grain of wheat that is going to die, and yet it's going to, out of that death, bring life and much fruit. Moreover, then he says, and he applies it to us he who loses his life or loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So he, he introduces a universal constant. It's a universal law, much like the law of thermodynamics, right? It applies no matter where you are in this universe. This is a spiritual universal law across the board for everyone. And it's this it's the idea at first in the natural realm that there's a seed and the only way something grows is if the seed itself that shell dies right is crushed broken and died and then out of that life comes it's a universal constant it applies to everyone No matter what language, no matter what culture, everybody gets, you got to plant a seed and that thing has to die in order for life to come and fruit to come. And so he says this, he says, if you love your life, our life is that seed. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So if we want to protect this life, we'll lose it. Just like a fig tree, a seed that is sitting there for 2,000 years and doing nothing. If we love the life in this world, we'll lose it. But if we hate our life in this world, we keep it. And what does that mean, to hate our life? John actually ends up writing three more letters in the Bible right at the very end, and the first, in that first letter, he says this. He says, do not love the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Three things, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. is not of the Father. It's not of heaven. It's of this world, and don't love it. So so this idea of don't love the world, what does that mean? Or to hate this life, well, it's it's encompassed in this idea of the lust of the flesh is that old nature that's contrary to God and loving everything about that, the desires of that, or just loving certain desires, like, I still want to hold on to that, and I still want to keep that, and this still has some kind of mastery over me, and don't ask me to explain it, but I can't stop it, I don't like it, but it's got... Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes is what we see. And, and don't just keep this to like, in, in, in a sense, just like the, the, the sexual thing. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's part of it. But it's so much bigger than that, right? The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes it's what we see and what we look and we want and we, we crave and we desire and, and we literally live our life protecting or trying to get that. And the pride of life, look at me, look what I can do. I'm better than you or... I'm not as bad as them. I have no needs. I don't need anybody. I consume with getting the credit we deserve. James wrote about people, even Christians, planning their whole life without consulting God, just the pride of not having even time for God. Paul talked about the idea of pride being displayed in people who can't confess, who can't admit they're wrong. Too proud. And Jesus says this, he says, you and I, we've gotta be like a seed of wheat, right, that, that, that's planted, and, and, and it, you just put it here, and, and we put it in the ground, and what happens to a seed when, when you plant it? It's gotta be crushed, and it's gotta be broken, and it's gotta to be torn apart, that shell, and it's gotta, it's gotta die. And is that what life feels like when you do that? When you hate this life, you're you're crushing it and, and it, it's so hard. And somebody you say, no Scott, it's not even like that. It's like this, right? It just feels like this over and over. And when will it stop? Some of you feel like life. Like God buried you and, and, and forgot all about you. That that's your life. It's just crush, crush, crush. But that's not the life Christ promises because it's in the moment. Read this. It doesn't delay. He says, if we do this right, the seed immediately dies, but in that moment begins new life. Whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Eternal life begins the moment we die. It begins in that moment. And not only that, he says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me and where I am, they're my servant will also, and it's a comparison. He says, look, if you're gonna serve me, you're gonna follow in this life of dying to self, in order to be raised to life. He's like, that's where I'm going, and if you want to follow me, that's where you're going to be, just warning you. And he ends with this, though. He says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So there's something going on in the Christian life. It's this universal constant of as we die, we go deeper into surrender, deeper into that death of the old life, right? And the, the love of loving this life rather than what Christ would have for us. That's hard, that's surrender, and yet simultaneously eternal life starts to well up and fruit will be coming. And the honor, the honor from God begins to be given. You don't wait for it. It starts to come now. And there is nothing like hearing God say, "Well done. I love you. I see your sacrifice." I wonder how many of us right now feel like like we've just been buried and forgotten not realizing that God actually planted you. You haven't been buried, you've been planted. There's a big difference. Buried means there's no purpose, there's no hope, it's just piling on and breaking for no reason at all. Planting is breaking, it is death, but it has a purpose life, much fruit. In fact, if we choose to hate this life for his sake, we can't help but produce fruit. I've got bad news for you. Your life will bear fruit whether you like it or not. If you die to this life for him, hang on. Because fruit's coming. Honor is coming. That was sarcastic about the bad news part. That, I think the reality that's in front of us all is, um, is that this is by faith. So as we sit here with everything so tangible and uh, our experience, um, we can often think that that is more real. In fact, it's, it's such a thing, it's a philosophy, existentialism, that which I experience is my truth. And Christ says, I want you to live by faith. My word is truth, and I want you to live by faith that the way, the way the world is and the universal constants in this world are true. Live by faith. So do you love your life more than the idea of hating this life now for Christ and what he has to offer. If all these things are real, that we come in contact with, do we believe there's something better that Christ has, that his life that eternal life that he can give us now, that honor that he gives us now, the fruit that he wants us to bear, is better than what we have. It's interesting, the fig trees, it took um, three or four years, I, I think it was the fourth year or the fifth year that the, they actually grew these fig trees, it's crazy. And uh, it was in the fifth year, I think, um, that they started to bear fruit. And crazy enough, those old fig trees do grow bigger figs. Like, way bigger. And I just thought, wow, here, here's a, how many of that, how is that true in our lives where nothing is happening and the seed is just sitting there refusing to die and no fruit ever happens. And yet now, that one fig tree is planted and they have all kinds of seeds. In fact, that whole fig tree line is now going to be reproduced. One seed, one seed. And I imagine there's going to be orchards and orchards upon orchards of trees with that seed. There was a a guy, uh, actually a mom, she found the words to this poem and she put it on her son's piano. He was a musician, put it on his piano, the words, and um, hoping, you know, he'd see these things. And it it said this, the words were, were this. This was back in, 1920. The words were this, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus in worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. And that chorus goes then to be a king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. This world affords today. The guy who ended up writing the music was that lady's son. He ended up having this famous career at NBC, writing music. One of these creatives there at the network. And uh, his name was George Beverly Shea. And he ended up leaving it all to join Billy Graham. And sing music for Christ. There's a missionary, Adoniram Judson, 1825, called to go to Burma here from America. And he has this whole stack of reasons why he shouldn't go. And he says, if tenderness of feeling is a reason, if the, the passion of affection is a reason, if, if my attachments to friends is a good enough reason, if the attachment to Christian society and Christian privileges, if, if the fear of toil, the fear of danger, of the missionary life, if, if that overwhelming sense of responsibility could keep me in here in America, I would never go! And then he says, welcome separations, welcome farewells, welcome tears, welcome last sad embraces, welcome pangs and grief, only let me go where my Savior calls and goes himself. Welcome toils and disappointments, welcome fatigue, welcome sorrow, welcome an early grave. Someone dying to live. Are you dying to live? Am I Let's just pray. Jesus, I just pray for those in this room where it's just, uh, it's hard. It's just hard looking at this life and just walking away from all of it, letting it go. Would you just be here? I pray for those in this room who have, you have made it so clear maybe for years or maybe it's just soon or just recent that something's gotta go. There's a love that's keeping them from you. Only you can call us to this, Jesus. I pray for those, Lord, who have felt buried, not realizing you planted them. Would you give them words of life this morning? Would you fill them with hope? Lord, for those who have been hating this life for you, would you give them the words they need to hear, how proud you are of them, how much you love them, that you see them. Show them fruit. Give them the promise of fruit. would you send us all away with this good news that in dying we can live. Amen.